everybody, every culture, you know, you love someone, you feed them. It's, it's what everybody does. And when they're not receptive to that or you push that, um, it makes it worse. That's always challenging when um, sometimes spouses or, or parents or you know friends are almost aggressive with, but they won't do anything and they're not listening to me and they don't understand how, the, how important this is. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, and you don't understand what it's like when you can't taste anything mm-hmm. and you don't understand what it's like when you have pain the minute you swallow something. Mm-hmm. That can be challenging advocating for the patient to those that love them the most. When cancer enters your life, things get real very quickly. Today I'm speaking with Jody Newson, registered dietitian in oncology nutrition who works with cancer patients. Jody talks about the central role that food plays in maintaining our social bonds and how side effects of cancer treatment can disrupt our most cherished ways of showing care. She also talks about being drawn to meaningful work in which she has a positive impact in the lives of her patients and their families, and explains how her role often extends beyond nutrition. Jody also reflects on how she has personally benefited from the life lessons she has learned while helping others. I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real Cancer. Welcome, Jody. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. All right, so why don't we just begin with having you tell me a little bit about yourself and why you became a dietitian. I wasn't necessarily interested in nutrition at all growing up, but I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis when I was about 19, and no doctor ever had any idea about what I was supposed to eat. Mm. So it was just about medication and getting me into a remission, but no one could answer my questions. You know, I figured out what I didn't tolerate and I just kind of had to wing it and I thought, well, that's not right. Somebody should be able to guide me. So your, your symptoms were in reaction to things that you were eating. You could tell that, but you weren't getting any help from your doctor in terms of that? Right, except for, oh, well, yes, lactose or... <laughs> know, obvious things, but not, maybe you should try eliminating this, or maybe you should try eating this, mm-hmm. um, or maybe you should talk to a dietitian. And so, and so how did you, how did you wing it? And, and how did that <clears throat> sort of lead you in the path that you decided to go on? I just basically eliminated things if they bothered me, had an evolving diet over time. I'm vegan now, have been for a little over 25 years. I still didn't originally go into nutrition. I was an accountant. (laughs) And through a series of buyout at the company I was working for, I thought, this is the time. Everyone was really upset that we were going to be laid off, and I thought, this is great. Mm. I can go back to school. I really want to do this. Your chance. And so uh, what year was that? That was in, I started back in 2000. Oh, okay. So it's been 17 years. Yes. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what a dietitian does and what the difference is between a dietitian and a nutritionist? I'll start with the, with the difference. I like to look at it as all thumbs or fingers, but not all fingers or thumbs. So it depends on the state, but in California, there isn't licensure. There's credentialing, which is the same 
across the country, but anybody in California can call themselves a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. You cannot call yourself a dietitian unless you are a registered dietitian. But I generally call myself a nutritionist because mm-hmm. it's a more user-friendly term and, and people have a vision of a lady in a hairnet with the word dietitian. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so what do you do as a dietitian who calls herself a nutritionist? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I work in, a, in an ambulatory setting, in an outpatient setting, so I'm not in a hospital. I'm not dealing with people that are in an ICU. Um, I'm dealing with people going through treatment, so I'm really talking to people, helping them out with symptom management, helping them form a plan, investigating maybe supplements they're interested in, kind of helping to guide them through that process. Okay. I know that you specialize in oncology nutrition, so maybe you could help us to understand a little bit about what you do by talking about who your patients are and how you work with them. So with oncology nutrition, it's, it's actually a specialty it's a, a subspecialty of the registered dietitian, you know, a population that are basically um, pre-treatment, during treatment, after treatment. So my patient population can be somebody who's going through chemotherapy, going through radiation therapy, maybe just had you know a lumpectomy and will not need any other treatment and, and just wants diet counseling people after treatment, sometimes they really want to make changes or lose weight or, you know, struggle to keep weight during treatment. So kind of across the continuum of, of a cancer diagnosis through survivorship, I kind of look at you're a survivor from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, but through, through the whole spectrum. Do people refer themselves for the most part or does a doctor... Uh, suggest to a patient, I think you might uh, benefit from going to see an oncology nutritionist. I'm in a very fortunate situation. I I work for a medical group where I'm available to patients. It's uh, somebody comes into the practice, if they're going to start treatment, they are automatically uh, scheduled to see me. Otherwise, um, any, any patient of the practice can see me through their insurance. So it's, it's a service offered in our little ambulatory cancer center. Mm-hmm. Um, people can ask. Sometimes you know, a nurse will refer me because maybe I didn't see the patient or they want to be seen again. Sometimes they call me themselves, a physician, a medical assistant, anybody can there's, there's no one path to referral. Right. You talked about some of the things that people might be dealing with, but maybe you could give more of a concrete example, you know, without uh, revealing any details about somebody in particular, but maybe you could just describe like a patient or a composite patient that you would work with and, and what you're doing with that person. Probably one of the hardest treatments um, would be some type of head and neck cancer, tonsil, or tongue. So those patients are getting chemotherapy and they're having radiation therapy to the oral cavity. So that's probably the the biggest challenge just as far as swallowing, eating, getting anything down, not so much what you're going to eat. 
what can you eat? Can you swallow? Mm-hmm. So with a head and neck cancer patient, I work in a team with a speech and language pathologist, with an oncologic dentist, with a supportive care medicine physician, along with the oncologist and the radiation oncologist to get this person through treatment, managing their side effects as best as possible. Sometimes from my end, uh, that might mean a feeding tube. That used to always mean a feeding tube, not so much anymore. Now we, our goal is very much to not need to do that. Mm. Uh, treatment's come a long way. Symptom management has come a long way as well. So that would be not just helping to manage how to eat when you're nauseous or you, you're constipated or you have diarrhea, but when you mechanically are having an issue, designing what they can eat, or if they do have to have a feeding tube, discussing that with them, it's a really scary thought when everything else is going on. Mm. I think giving them things that, that they can actually do themselves to, to help through the treatment. It's, again, one of the toughest treatments, and it's nice that it's a very team-oriented approach, probably more so than any other diagnosis, mm. as far as the amount of people that, that work with a patient. Right. So that would be uh, probably uh, the worst end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I might see somebody going through just chemotherapy, maybe a long course of chemotherapy or a short course, and then what I would do is educate them on symptoms specific to the regimen they're having, Mm -hmm. things that can help to prevent certain side effects. Mm. Sometimes that's certain foods to have to avoid, certain supplements to have or avoid, and also a lot of answering questions about supplements and information that people hear. Oh, sure. Yeah. There's a lot of that, for sure. Yes. Yeah. What are some of the things that you find people are doing that you uh, really want to have them avoid? It depends, and it depends on the treatment, because sometimes certain supplements or certain antioxidant and supplement form, not food form, and it's very specific to the drug or the treatment somebody's having, Mm -hmm. because not everything's bad in every situation. Mm. Something might interact with this treatment, but it won't interact with something else. Some doctors don't care what their patients do, and others don't want them to take anything that's not a multivitamin. Mm -hmm. I provide evidence. I will find out information because I'm learning something new all the time. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, you know, there are so many, so many supplements, um, so many quote unquote cures. Uh, just do this and it will get rid of your cancer. Trying to provide a patient with all the evidence so that they can make an informed choice, not mm-hmm. so that I can tell them what the choice is. Right, right. So you're really providing guidance so that they can make good decisions. Why did you decide to go into oncology nutrition? When I was doing, during my internship in one of the seminars, I had somebody come and and speak to our seminar. He was an oncology dietitian in the years before um, we had a board certification. And it was it just kind of floored me. I did not think I was interested in that. I was very interested in research. Um, I really wasn't interested in clinical nutrition. 
And that really changed things, just listening to him talk. And it wasn't so much the specifics of what he did. It was the, I think, humanity and the relationship with patients and how he brought that across. So I was doing my internship at Cedars-Sinai. He was at the Cancer Center at Cedars-Sinai, and I begged him to let me do a rotation. Mm-hmm. From there, someone went on maternity leave. I was finishing my program, and... Um, it just kind of worked out. It just worked out. Yeah, yeah. So when you said the, the humanity of it, uh, could you just talk a little bit more about, about that, what, what struck you and, and really made you feel like this is the direction you wanted to go in? Listening to his presentation was so vastly different from the experiences I was having in the hospital where maybe you don't even get to talk to somebody because they're in an ICU and maybe you're talking to their family, but it's really just about math and what, how you're feeding them through their veins. It's not so much um, a connection. And when it came to educating patients, it was generally diabetics. And they didn't really want to have the conversation. They really weren't interested. Mm. Um, They, you know, well, I have medicine, or I have insulin, or yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. And it was a little frustrating. And and at that point of going through rotations and thinking, well, this doesn't seem like it's, like these people even want to, to listen. It's a very different animal with oncology. Because people want to know, you know, what can I do? What should I do? Twelve of my friends, you know, sent me links about this, and I have to do this, and I shouldn't do chemo. And, and it's beyond just saying, well, don't eat too many carbohydrates, and you need to check your blood sugar. It's often a relationship over years and years with a patient. And it's, um, it's really challenging. Sometimes it's very difficult, but... It's extremely rewarding. It's a situation where I can make an impact. These people want to know what I have to say and how how I can you know impact them, help them. Mm-hmm. That sounds very meaningful. So you just mm-hmm. talked a little bit about the rewarding and gratifying aspects of this work, but I'm sure it must be difficult in some ways as well. What are some of the challenges that you find in working with this patient group? There can be a lot of challenges. Sometimes it's a lot of family issues, and I feel like often all I'm doing is playing interference or being more of a counselor and often not even talking about nutrition and trying to broker how maybe what the patient's going through and how the family can look at it from a, a, a different viewpoint. I think everybody, every culture, you know, you love someone, you feed them. It's it's what everybody does. And when they're not receptive to that or you push that, um, it makes it worse. That's always challenging when um, sometimes spouses or, or parents or, you know, friends are almost aggressive with, but they won't do anything, and they're not listening to me, and they don't understand how the, how important this is. Mm. Said, so and you know, and you don't understand what it's like when you can't taste anything, mm-hmm. and you don't understand what it's like when you have pain the minute you swallow something. Mm. 
that can be challenging, advocating for the patient to those that love them the most. And then obviously, people at the end of their lives that are not doing well is very difficult and very challenging, but very much a part of the job. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's just go back for a moment to some of the issues with with family. What are some of the situations that you run into where you, you find that you're in kind of a counseling role rather than in the role of a, a nutritionist or dietitian? A lot of the times it's, it's more of a spouse issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it works both ways. I've had you know patients' husbands have the the same amount of uh, aggressiveness as as their wives it's it's just very interesting how initially everything's fine and supportive but i think going through a situation like that can often bring out the worst in people i'm not a physician i'm not a nurse i'm not sticking a needle in you I'm not asking you to tell me about your feelings. I'm a non-threatening person talking to you about nutrition. So people often just will spill mm-hmm. and, and talk to me. Um, I guess maybe because I'm not, I'm not actively doing something mm-hmm. harmful to them or, or, or that hurts them. And the same with, with their families. So sometimes it's like marriage counseling. Mm. Often it's this is a this is a great example. Um, this woman, she was getting messages on Facebook constantly. You have to try this. You shouldn't do chemo. Chemo is the worst thing in the world. You're going to kill yourself with chemo. And she couldn't just say, you know, I'm going to ignore them. She said, I need you to give me information because I have to fight back. Hmm. I have to respond to every one of these people because this is ludicrous and it's dangerous and they shouldn't be spreading this information. And I thought, that's great. Okay, you know, you send me everything they're sending you and I'll, you know, look it up and I'll give you a study or or something that you can throw back at them. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, not dealing with somebody physically in the room, but a really interesting approach from her. And it was very impressive. I was impressed with Hmm. with how she wanted to deal with it. Right. She wanted to have the research behind what she was doing to counter the bad information that they were giving her. Right. And she she just really felt it was important to to not let it go because often people will say, oh, I'm hearing so much information. I said, you can just say, you know, thank you very much and then let it go. Mm -hmm. Um, But that wasn't that wasn't good enough for her. Right. You talked before about the role that food plays in expressing love, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, just based on some of your observations working with people in this area. I think in in any area and with your, your family, with your friends, any celebration, everything revolves around food in every culture. And if you are a loved one, a friend, any connection to somebody going through treatment, and you can't do anything else, you can feed them. You can, you know, people make up meal trains and, you know, bring food to to the patient and the family. It can be very upsetting. It can be offensive if 
that's rebuffed if somebody doesn't want that. And I think people just don't understand, one, because that works in every situation, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and also I think it just it gives those trying to feed the person going through treatment a feeling of helplessness. Mm-hmm. Right, to rebuff the food that's offered. Right, and that the one thing that they can do isn't being accepted. Right, right. Yeah, that can be hard when the person who uh, who receives the food can't eat it. Right, or doesn't want it, or something that's their favorite. Just the aroma is so offensive they they can't you know be within a hundred feet of it, let alone try to eat it. Right. Yeah. All those all those signals get mixed up, huh? Yeah. That's right. It's like senses being hijacked. Right. What do you find to be the best or most rewarding parts of your job? The best parts are always people finishing treatment, doing well, um, having gotten through um, in a way that uh, I know I helped, um, help them to minimize side effects, help them to not lose weight, um, help them to make the best out of whatever taste buds they had and, you know, be happy to not have to see them every week. Yeah. <laughs> um, be happy. I ran into somebody in the supermarket and they were calling my name and it's a situation where you're not, you know, you're, they're out of place. Right. Um, <laughs> and it was maybe a year after their treatment. It was so great to see somebody in the supermarket. That's like, right. it's great. I don't ever want to see you in that building I work in again. That's right. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that makes you feel really good. <laughs> Yeah, it does. A, a lot of people, though, don't do as well, I think, emotionally. A lot of people miss coming mm. to treatment because they have, you know, I work in a wonderful place. We have the most amazing nurses and physicians. It's a real sense of support, I think. You know, people walk in our door and we envelop them. Right. And when you're done, everyone thinks, okay, you're done go back to your normal life and you will never have not had that experience. Right. So it, that's always an interesting thing. Some people are so glad to not step foot in the building, but other people will call or their email. I get an email almost every week from someone who was finished with treatment two years ago. Mm. <laughs> what do you think about this? Can I do this? You know, it's just, it's a connection. Right. They need that support network yeah. and they sort of lose it when they when they leave that last time out the door. Yeah, or other people, they don't, not that they have no support, but the people in their lives don't understand that or, or they just think it's, it's done yep. and behind. Yeah, absolutely. What are the most challenging aspects of nutrition for patients with cancer? There's just some, some basic, common side effects of many drugs that are a real challenge. And GI side effects, nausea or vomiting, dry mouth, sore mouth, difficulty swallowing. I think nausea and the the difference of taste and smell is something that most people don't really consider but can be the most one of the most impactful Mm. things to overcome. Sure. Because you just can't get away from you know aroma 
Are there any commonalities in terms of how you help patients address those issues? Yes. You know, I mean, there, there are standard things that are um, standard of care for certain side effect management that a dietitian, nutritionist, a nurse, anyone would, would give that are, you know, cold things don't have aroma. One of the things that, you know, I always find this true and people really appreciate it is if nothing tastes good, just have something you hate <laughs> because you have no expectation. Mm-hmm. And when you can't eat and you, you know what something should taste like and it's something you really love and you take a bite and it's, it doesn't taste right, right, that really puts you off and it, it's disappointing also. So if you don't like something normally, you don't have an expectation, you don't expect to like it, you're not going to be disappointed if it doesn't taste good. And it might taste okay because your taste buds are, are not functioning properly. Right. Oh, that's really clever. I remember when I was going through chemotherapy, I was just dying for some like French bread with melted butter on it. And that just tasted like sawdust. It was horrible. <laughs> so yeah. I, I could have tried something else that I didn't like and maybe I would have right. been happier with it. Because you're right, that disappointment of like anticipating that great taste and just having it be like blah. Right. And, and then you don't want that association where you don't ever want to eat it again. Right, right. Are there any practices that you especially recommend for people living with cancer? One thing that's important, and it can be from a food standpoint, is to really tell those around you what you want. Because a lot of people are offering to help, and with nutrition it shows up as a meal train. And, you know, people will tell me, my freezer is full of things that are disgusting, (laughs) that I don't want, that I can't eat, and I can't say no to people. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, did you ask them to bring you this? Or, you know, ask. If, If somebody wants to bring you something, tell them what to bring you. Don't just say, okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you will get something, and you're going to get something you don't like if you... I don't ask. And, and people want to help. Yeah. They want to give you the right thing. They want to. Absolutely. Know. Yeah. I've talked to people about an experience that I had and uh, several other people have had of just having chickens just show up <laughs> at their house, the, the chicken that you can get at the at the market, which is such a great thing. But uh, when you kind of get chicken every day, you right. lose your taste for chicken. <laughs> chicken or casseroles where you would never eat a casserole. Right. What have you learned from working with people living with cancer? Is there like a standout moment for you or just a a life lesson that you've taken from your experience? A lot of lessons. One thing that stands out, very impactful, is to really know how to be present Mm. and not focus so much on things that have already happened or how you want to make something happen but what you're doing now, I, I learn that from people all the time. I see that in, in people. And it shouldn't take something like cancer to, to make you take stock and priority, but sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. H- have you been able to put that into practice in any way in your own life? Yes, <laughs> definitely. I definitely would 
worry more about things, um, have more anxiety if something wasn't done, the list of things I had to do. Tell my husband, I worry so much because you don't worry at all. So <laughs> somebody has to worry. Seeing uh, some people or somebody, um, one patient very much in particular, that made me think, okay, well, whatever I have to do is still going to be there, but it doesn't do me any good to have anxiety about it. It doesn't do me any good to ruminate over something that I I can't do anything about. All I can do is focus on right now and what I can do and do the best job with whatever task at hand. And it's it's made a, a actually a big difference. I sleep better than I used to sleep. Um, and I, I just generally don't have the panic of, oh, God, I didn't do this. Mm. And so you just learned that from being in interaction with your patients, or was there something in particular that you just started to notice over time or that happened that sort of helped flip that switch for you? Some of it is over the years and seeing how it doesn't matter what you have planned. Anything can happen. Mm. I might see that 20 times a day. You were going to do this, but today you're getting chemo. Mm. There was uh, someone in, in particular who was kind, sweet, and he used to say, you know, I know how to do this because he um, would act as a patient for nursing and physician training mm-hmm. films. Oh, yeah. And so he said, I, I, know how to, I know how to play the sick and dying patient. But he didn't. He was kind, and he made jokes, and... And he had very bad disease, and he was very sick. And he was, he never played the sick, dying patient. He, you know, came in and basically lifted everybody up around him. Mm-hmm. So we talked at the beginning of our conversation about how you, you took a detour in your life. You had been an accountant, and 17 years ago, you decided to go into this line of work instead. How do you think your life is different today than the life that you would have had if you had pursued that other track? I don't think I would have been fulfilled with my work. It wouldn't have been soul-crushing, but it, it wouldn't be something where I look forward to my work. I, you know, I don't want to not be there. Mondays are good. It's something that I almost can't explain, but regardless of where somebody might be on the continuum of their care or at their diagnosis, it's very much an honor to be allowed to be on a journey with someone to be a part of their life and an intimate part of their life and, and know their family. Um, and it, I mean, an honor is, is the best way I can, I can state that. Yeah. I've had other people talk about that as well in terms of working with, uh, with patients. And so that, that makes sense to me. Thanks so much, Jody, for coming in to talk to me. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
That's it for today's episode. Thank you, Jody, for speaking with me about your work as an oncology nutritionist and what you've learned from working with patients and their families. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to Real Cancer on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know why you listened and what you like about the Real Cancer podcast. Please rate the show and leave a review on iTunes. Follow Real Cancer on Twitter at Real Cancer Pod and reach us at realcancerpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel.